Welcome, our fellow lovers of love, and thank you for joining us on yet another excursion through the stream of consciousness down the river of tranquility to fill the lake of life with love. And good evening, our fellow lovers of love, and thank you for joining us. Me and Lubby here tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about kind of the tides of change of life and how to adapt with them and you know kind of mostly about mindset because not all changes in life the tides of life and how things change are actually bad you know and sometimes we even know they're good for us but change is difficult and uh, you know we often get stuck I don't want to say stuck in a rut because sometimes I think ruts are underrated <laughs> you know <laughs> but <laughs> Quite frankly, you know, there's those periods of time when life comes at you fast, there's too much change, you know, and a rut seems pretty good right about then, right? <laughs> you know? So, ruts aren't necessarily as bad as they're, you know, made out to be, but I think the problem is when you're stuck in them too long is the real problem with ruts. And the problem with change is that it's hard because, you know, the ground you knew is the world you knew is different and whether that's different for good like giving up drinking you know or that different is bad like you know a sudden death in the family or something like that you know the reality is the sun does come up tomorrow the world does keep spinning around and we have to find a way to you know get to that different place and sometimes there's, you end up in places that you don't know where you're going, right? You can make decisions that have no real direction at the time you make a decision. And then three years later, that decision can turn out to be good, bad, you know, could lead you on a far different path. And we don't know. But you have to be open to, as some call it, open to the dance, the dance of life. And if you don't dance, then you miss opportunities. And it's true. You can get your toes stepped on. You can trip and fall and make a fool of yourself, you know, when you're dancing. It's entirely true. But at the same time, you know, it's good exercise. Connects you with the people around you. It's, you know... A, uh, it's one of those things that makes us human and so how we navigate changes in our lives you know is a the mindset we take often tells us how we get through the troubles and the tribulations and the changes even if they're for positive, you know, even a positive change comes with its own challenges. Yes. You know, it's especially early on. Starting a new relationship. Starting starting a new job that maybe you're not sure you've ever actually done before. Maybe you're trying to use transferable skills, and you, or um, you know, you decided to engage in your community more in some fashion, but you know you've never done it before. But, you know, you have some courage to go out and say, well, I believe in this, so I'm going to try. Maybe you want to become, you know, you're someone who's dealt with mental health issues. We talk about mental health here a lot. And now all of a sudden you want, you've dealt with yours, and you want to become a voice for others who, who are now going through the path you've been down. And you want to help them. And that's a difficult choice to make, especially when, you know, you don't know how. You just know you want to. And so you go in and you start to figure it out and sometimes you ask sometimes there's no one to ask and so you got to do it on your own and it's a big daunting thing and you know that's why most people don't do it that's why change is so hard for people that's why you know when life changes fast society doesn't respond well reasons for this. You know, 
lots of sudden change is difficult for us on an individual level and you put you know a million of those people in this relatively small place and you're going to get problems are going to cop up be just well and we navigate these with our uh, you know, with our mindset it's really about how you approach change and don't beat yourself up because you know you don't hit your own perceived goal that's part of the problem is we expect We are strange animals on how we treat ourselves. We put unrealistic, unrealistic expectations on ourselves, then beat ourselves up when we don't reach them. But we know we do it, and yet we continually do it. And the reason we do it is because we like to be better. There's this human drive to be better than we were. Don't know where it comes from, but we want to be better people than our parents. We want to have a better society than our ancestors. We want to be better. That desire for being better sometimes goes sideways, just like in our lives. Sometimes, you know, you're looking for something more, and the grass isn't always greener. You think, you know, changing jobs because the other one pays you more money, but you forgot that sometimes meaning is more important to you than money. And so you have to learn that lesson. But it's okay if you have to learn that lesson because you didn't know until you do. And for some people, money's more important, and that's fine. Because maybe later on you can use your money to accomplish some of the good that you want to accomplish. You know, lots of people do that. And they focus on themselves early on. When they get in their 50s and 60s, they then use the resources they require to help others. There's nothing wrong with that approach. Just like there's nothing wrong with the approach that you're going to, you know, help a handful of people throughout your lives and just do it that way. There's, you know, a continually small approach. There's nothing wrong with either approach. Both of them are beautiful in their own way. You know, and both are probably necessary, quite frankly. You know, you need people to do the groundwork, and you need people to donate the money. <laughs> you know, both of these things are required. And so that's the beautiful thing about diversity, and diversity of thought, diversity of desire, because in the long run, if everybody kind of tries to be better human beings, the world does get to be a better place. We've talked about this before. If we, if you were to go back and you've had a time machine, you could pick some time in the past, the glorious time in the past, how, how far back would you go? I wouldn't go past 1980, personally. <laughs> it's, you know, it's not that 1980 was so great, but anything before 1980, you know, the world was dirtier, a little coarser, Communication was harder, and the farther back you go, the, the more difficult life got. Forget. We forget how blessed we are these days, especially those of us in the United States or Western, relatively modern countries, Western Asian countries that are relatively modern. We forget, and the more modernized the rest of the world gets, the more we're going to forget that there are people in Africa and South America and other places who don't have modern lifestyle who live like we lived two, three hundred years ago and you know when we talk about what is it uh, first world problems there's some truth to that doesn't mean they're not problems to go through. It doesn't make them less real. But, you know, maybe it should put a little perspective on us, you know? 
we don't have the same problems our ancestors had. And that's actually a good thing. We have clean water. We don't have to, most of us in the world now, don't have to actually worry that much about clean water. I mean, there are places where, where you do, but even those places have access to clean water. It's difficult access. <laughs> you know, you have to go to the town well, but they have access to clean water. They have a town well, and the town well, now we have filters in a lot of these places. The number of people who are in abject poverty has drastically reduced in the last 20 years. Despite the, the growth in population, abject poverty is reduced. But we as a society, we as individuals, don't appreciate it. And it's, it's perfectly fine to want us to live cleaner lives, to want us to be better human beings. That's perfectly fine. I think we all want that. But I think we should be more appreciative of whose, of whose shoulders we are standing on, the difficulties they had to face, the choices they had to make with, without knowledge. It's easy for us to point back in history and point our fingers and say you were bad people. And in many ways, there's true, but there's a reason we're not like that anymore. And the reason we try not to be. It's because they knew it too. And they tried to make their generations, future generations, be better people. Just as we try now. And as we ex evolve through these changes in our lives as the tides of our lives roll in and out and then we have the good times and the bad and the ruts and the chaos the chaos and you know there is a beauty to it and if you focus on doing the right thing if you if you put good out there you will get good back it doesn't mean you won't have tragedy it doesn't mean you won't have loss. It doesn't mean bad things won't happen. Because tragedy, loss, you know, bad things are just their nature. It's just the way it is. But how we get through it speaks to the kind of human beings we are. And if you have trouble getting through it, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we're only human. And some of us have lived really difficult lives, and how much can one person really be expected to take? And so, you know, like we said, you don't want to beat yourself up because you haven't dealt with things the way you think you should. The question is, are you still standing? You know, can you, are you still trying to be the better human being you want to be, then I call that a success. It doesn't mean you always succeed, but it doesn't mean you keep trying. And what was the saying? We, we saw a, a meme last week. Um, we should actually do meme reviews. Um, <laughs> what was it? It was a, it doesn't matter how fast you go, as long as you keep moving. Just keep swimming, my friends. Just keep swimming. <laughs> to, to borrow a, a thing from Dory. Hey, you know there's a theory that Dory doesn't act, it actually does remember. She's just playing dumb. There's a theory, huh? Yeah. Well, if you down down, if you spend too much time on YouTube, you can find a theory on anything related to Disney movies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can find you can find theories related to pretty much anything anyway on YouTube, right? But you like Disney movies and stuff. Oh, it's chaos. It's everybody has invented all kinds of weird stuff and connections. And it's like this ancient aliens guys, but for Disney movies. Oh my. Yeah, isn't it possible? Says <laughs> no, it's not possible because we have the scripts. <laughs> You realize these are invented stories, right? <laughs> people aren't real. <laughs> but hey, you know, it's entertaining. And, you know, 
it's fun to entertain me. What the heck? It's a good 15 minutes, you know? 15, 20 minutes, you kill some time, you go, that's interesting, and you move on, and you forget about it until you have a chance to talk about, hey, there's weird theories on the internet about it. <laughs> there's weird theories on the internet about Disney movies. Just look them up. Okay, so we are going to hit the questions early tonight because that's all I've got, unless you want to talk about something specific. And we did leave some, as always, there's some resources for... Uh, Hearing some perspectives. Nicholson, there was one, he took a Zen approach. That was a very interesting read. Yeah, and there was another one that was related to, uh, quasi-related to religion. Yes. Quasi-religious. Quasi-religious, yeah. To religion. So it, it was a religious perspective, but it wasn't overbearing. You, you could, it, it, the point was made without actually trying to like proselytize. proselytize. Yes. Yeah. There was no quoting of scriptures. No, no, there was a little bit, but uh, again, you don't notice. It was it was well written. Oh, there was. Oh, yeah. oh I missed it. Like I said it was well written. <laughs> I noticed these things. It was just well, but it was like I said, it was well written. Yeah, it's a it's a good read. So, you know, spend a few time, a few minutes. You know, look through the resources, but mostly, it's try as you go through life to have an open perspective. Try to do the dance, and it's not always easy, and you're not always able to do it in the moment. We're talking over time, not any one single instance, right? We're talking over time. It's a learned skill. Yeah, not only is it a learned skill, it's, you know, it's one of those skills that it keeps you from staying in the hole rather than prevents you from falling away. Yeah. Okay, so don't, don't think that this is going to be some, you know, magic panacea or if you change your mindset, all of a sudden the world's going to be uh, peaches and rainbows. No, 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 no. The world's still going to be what it is. But what it will do is help you still see the rainbows, the grass, the green grass. It'll still help you see the beauty in the world while you're dealing with all the complications, which makes that a little bit easier to cope with. Okay, lovey. What was this week's dive into the Reddit zone? Over well, we're here? gonna. We got a, a lot of questions here tonight. We're gonna dive in. All we're right. We're gonna dive into the sex questions first. Usually, oh. we save them for last. Well, hell, why not? Okay. Let's go. A, okay. We got a good one right out the gate. All right. Just a reminder that I don't read these. They're posted on the website, but I just. Paste them. I don't actually read these beforehand. So this is all off the tough here for me anyway. Lovey reads these things, but I have no idea what's coming. No pun intended. Okay. <laughs> well, is it okay of me to make an ultimatum to a guy that I won't swallow unless he tries his own sperm at least once first? Well, ultimatums usually don't work very well, but I, I don't know. I'm just saying ultimatums. Is he that? Does is it that bad? Is that the issue? Do you need to change his diet? What the heck's going on? No, well, maybe she just don't like it, or maybe she doesn't necessarily mind, but she just, you know, who knows? It's a modern young woman in the modern world who knows what the actual thinking is but I get her point I actually do understand her point I'm not sure that ultimatums the way to go about it because they just usually don't work it usually creates a, a it makes an already friction a point that's already at friction more at friction You're not downgrading it but you have every right to draw your boundaries and at the same time. So my 
suggestion would be to find a softer approach to deal with it. And you don't have to swallow. You don't have to do things if you don't no. want to. No, but also my my. But at the same time, if the if the thing between you swallowing or not swallowing is if he's tasted his own, it just seems like a strange line to draw. I mean, I, we all have our lines to draw, but it just seems like a strange place to draw the line. You either want to either do it or you don't want to. Either one is fine, but it just seems I don't want to do it unless you've tasted it once. It just seems like a strange line to draw. I kind of get it. I do. But it seems like a... It, it'd be a really strange argument to have to have in court. Just let me put it that way. You have to go... <laughs> You actually had to go through it. it just, it, it's one of those. It's just really in place. You really something you want to argue about, and that's what an ultimatum will end up with. This is just really something. Just don't swallow. I mean, I don't think it needs to be an ultimatum. I just, you know, I'll draw your line. Maybe it's one of those things. Maybe the relationship. It's the sign that the relationship isn't flexible enough. Could be. Or it could a sign that you're both young and you haven't figured this whole partner thing out yet and you're just stumbling through. But I would shy away from ultimatums, but you do clearly get to draw your lines and deal with deal with it, right? Yes. Yeah. So in a sense, yes, you're 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 correct that you get to draw this line, but be very, very careful about using ultimatums because they generally don't work unless you're all really just looking for an out of the relationship subconsciously because that's where ultimatums kind of lead eventually because you're no longer negotiating you're demanding it's, it changes the nature of the relationship it just does okay Okay, so I, male, had my first kiss with my good friend, female, tonight. We've known each other for a year now, and we went on a date to see how us would function. At the end of it, she insisted we try and kiss. She is experienced, and it's my first time. So we ended up kissing, and I tried some tongue in the whole mile. Afterwards, she just seemed so unsatisfied. Like, there wasn't a frown or a smile or blushing or anything. Have I done something wrong? Um, don't know. You Maybe. Maybe you were, you know, you were unartful. But, of course, that would be expected. But the only way you can actually deal with this is to ask. Otherwise, you're just going to wonder. You're trying to pick up the signal. You know, there may have just been no smart spark. It may have felt weird. It may have been felt like kissing your cousin or your brother or something. You know, it, it just may have felt weird for it. But the only way you can find out that is to ask. Especially with you being inexperienced, you don't know. You know. That's how you're gonna learn. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if she's sympathetic and empathetic to it. You know, and is understanding, then you know you've got a future relationship. If she's gonna kind of pull back, and then you know it's not probably not meant to be. That's how these things work. That's how relationships. That's how you find out where. This is just the. This is the difficult part of dating, and you know, trying to find out where your relationship is, what a real relationship is. Sometimes they don't work. And sometimes it's for reasons that are unexplainable. It just doesn't. And it's okay. But you can't, you do, you're going to have to ask, otherwise you're always just going to be wondering. <laughs> yeah. And ask exactly the way you just asked her there. You know, just the way you posted that question. This is the exact way you should ask it. Hey, this is my first time I'm inexperienced and, you know, I guess, and I, it was awkward afterwards, and I just wondered if I did something wrong, or if I was unartful, or 
or if it just felt weird, you know, I don't know. And ask her about it. The, and the ability to have these kinds of conversations is an important part of a relationship. So you're going to have to learn this part too. Relationships are more than just physical. The physical part of the relationship is 10%. So, and it's the rest of it you want to worry about. Okay, what do we got? Okay, what is this thing with anal and what makes so many men want it? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't think nobody knows. That's like asking why people like oral or why people like missionary or why people like, you know, whatever it is people like. Why some people are submissive and why some people are not. It, it, it's a thing. I think part of it is, is the taboo nature of it. I would suspect everybody likes things that are a bit taboo, you know, there's an appeal to being taboo, to not supposed to be there kind of thing. Mm -hmm. There's an appeal to that, and then there's, and then we are human beings, we like to stick things in each other's holes, that's what we do. <laughs> and it's not just guys, you know, the, the world of sexuality is quite varied. <laughs> you know, it, it's a it's a thing people do. Doesn't mean you have to. If you don't find it interesting or attractive or pleasurable, then that's great. You don't have to you don't have to participate. That's the great thing about being able to choose these things. You know, don't worry about my suggestion is don't worry about so much about what other people are doing. Just worry about what you want to. Now you have a partner who's interested in trying something, you get to make those decisions at that time. And maybe that's why this was brought up. But there is nothing, what is it about? Nothing. There's lots of men who don't like anal. There are. There's, and there's also lots of gay guys who do. So, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not a thing. There's, you know, and lots of lesbians use toys on that end as well, you know, and, and there's lots of activities that people will use. So your choice, your quest, your um, task is to decide what it is you want, you want to do or are willing to try and the, under the circumstances which you would like to or not. I think is the, you know. It's your sexuality. You get to do with it what you choose. And don't worry so much about other people's. Okay. Okay. My husband tested positive for oral gonorrhea yesterday with birth swab. I tested negative for throat and urine. He was very he was very borderline verbally abusive about how I was cheating and gave it to him from kissing. Did he cheat? Well... Percentage-wise, you could think so, probably, but there are other ways to get it. But my guess would be it would be something you'd have to deal with. Because there are other ways to get these things. Most STDs can be actually gotten relatively easily other ways. And we just call them STDs because that is the most popular way to get them. But at the same time, you can't ignore you know, those realities. So, yeah, it is something you're going to have to deal with. I would suggest counseling at this point. You, you need some help to work through this. Yeah. And for yourself. And then after you deal with yourself, then maybe you deal with the marriage thing. It's the response to it that actually is more of a uh, signal that he's cheating than because if you just get a STD type thing without knowing, you don't get angry at anybody else, right? You're confused. What the hell happened? Trust me, I know. <laughs> you're not looking going for looking for people to blame. You're going, what the hell happened? How did this happen? 
I don't have any risk factors. How did this happen? You don't. You, your instinct doesn't go to immediately blame people. Your instinct is a, is to look for, you know, okay. Other than that, how does it happen? If your instinct is to, you know, point fingers and blame, then it's generally a reflection of you, especially if it's with anger, because the reaction should be confusion, not anger. Anger comes later. <laughs> the initial reaction is confusion. What the fuck? How does this happen? And then you work through it. So if the initial reaction is to, to get angry and point fingers, then it's a reflection of self. Percentage wise. Usually that's yeah, it's a um, it's a big ass red flag. How's that? It's a red flag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. now you've got two big ass red flags, right? One red flag you can kind of, you know, not say ignore, but you can say, oh, it, coincidences, weird things happen. Okay, but when you get two weird flags, and then if you looking around and you start seeing other red flags, you know, so eyes and ears open, go see a counselor. Be careful moving forward. And I don't f I feel for your, your journey. It's not going to be a pleasant one, regardless. Because even if it is some accidental thing, there's a lot of trauma associated to be dealt with. So it's not going to be a fun journey. So. Okay. What's next? Relationship questions. Oh, good. Let's get out of that. That's going to be better. <laughs> How to stop my family from feeling entitled to come to my studio and stay days in my apartment I share? I'm a 24-year-old female and share my apartment with one of my closest friends, 25-year-old male. The apartment is a two-bedroom, so it's not really that big or small. Just a normal-sized place in a tourist city. It's been about four times already this year that my family has self-invited themselves to stay at my place without asking me prior. My older siblings stayed here over three weeks before leaving and coming back a month later to stay another three nights. The other time it was my mom and my aunt staying two to four nights out of the blue. How do I tell them this has to stop? Well, you just tell them this has to stop. You know, hey, coming over and having a couple nights during a touristy city, you, you should probably enjoy having your siblings over for a couple nights. But a, a few weeks, especially, and without asking in a few weeks, is beyond the pale. And I think that's what you start with. It's, you know, beyond reasonable. You can't just show up at a tourist city and expect to be accommodated. You can't just show up at somebody's house and expect to be accommodated. That's not how the world works these days. Whether you're in a tourist city or not. You know, many people would be perfectly happy to have their you know, family come for a night, two, three, right. Even in a small apartment, you get a chance to see them, you know, when you otherwise wouldn't. But nobody wants unannounced visitors. Unless you're one of those weird people who like unannounced visitors, and everybody knows who those are, you know, <laughs> they tell you. So it's not, you know. So you just have to tell them. There's no easy way to do it. You just tell them. It's like you know, for people taking the bandaid off, just take it off. Start with mom. Yeah, well, get it over with. Start with the one you know who you can start with. You know who it is. Maybe it's your mother. Maybe it's your father. Maybe it's, there's somebody who will be more understanding than the rest of them. Start with that one. And maybe your mother. You know, maybe it's somebody else. But that's the one to start with. They get some practice. And maybe they can help spread the word. So that's what I would do. Start with the one who's most likely to be understanding where you're coming from. And then move from there. Build a little bit of success, a little confidence as you work down the line. 
And you may find out that they'll help you spread the word. You don't have to do so much. And, you know, hopefully they're not really taking advantage of you. They're just being ignoramuses. Yeah. 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 Okay. My boyfriend cousin disrespected me and punched my boyfriend when he fr confronted him about it. My boyfriend beat his cousin up and now my partner's mother wants to meet with me alone to talk to me about what happened. She begged me not to tell my boyfriend. What do I do? Nothing. It's not your business. You don't necessarily, now whether you tell your boyfriend or not is, is your decision. Um, you can or you can't, depending upon, you know, situations I'm not aware of. So that's a call you're going to have to make of your own. But in terms of you've got no need to have a conversation with her, it's not your issue at this stage. It's the family issue, and you just stay out of it. That's what I would do. They just nothing to do with you. Don't let them bring him, bring you back into it. Now, maybe you want to tell your your boyfriend. Maybe you don't. And you're gonna have to make that call based upon your relationship. You know, some people say it's always you know always being truthful is is, a, is important. And I said, you know, not lying is important. <laughs> you know, deciding that this isn't going to be helpful and I'm just not going to say anything isn't actually lying. Some would argue it's lying by omission, but it's not. It's making a judgment call. Now, if he asks you about it, then you have to tell him. Right? If he asks you in some way and, and it's part yeah. of the answer, you have to tell him. Yeah. But you don't have to go out your way to tell him. You don't have to tell them every aspect of your life. You don't expect it from him. And so, you know. Can you imagine if we did that? What's that? Every little thing that happens in our families. I'd have to remember it all. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be bored. I'm not that interested. <laughs> Most of it's not interesting. The, the stay out of the drama trauma, your life is be much better. Just, you know what I mean? That's what I would do. But I would suggest that, you know, even though I guess in this case, your boyfriend didn't start the physical altercation. So, no, you're all good. Stay out of it. That's my suggestion. And, you know, at what point you talk to your boyfriend about it is based upon your relationship. So you're going to have to make that call. Either one is fine, depending upon it. Just don't lie if you ask you about it. That's the only suggestion on that I have. Okay. All right. Should I, 21-year-old male, accept the apology of my bully from school? Why not? That doesn't change anything. But you can give him a gift. Forgiveness, and, it, and maybe you might give yourself the gift of forgiveness. You can stop carrying it around on you. And you don't have to be friends. You don't have to like them, but you can put it down. You can't say, "Oh, thank you for realizing you're wrong. I appreciate it," and then go on about your life. I would suggest yes, you should. Or you should strongly consider it. Let me put it that way. <laughs> you should strongly consider it. Not necessarily for him, even though you would be doing him a great gift. But it's for you. So you don't have to carry it around anymore. That's why you forgive him. Especially if he's the genuine and is forgiven and is asked for forgiveness. 
if he's seen the errors of his ways and he's come to you and says, look, I'm sorry, I was a total dick and you have every right to not to forgive me, but, and you do, so you've got a choice. What kind of human being are you going to be? That's all. You, that's, that's all I got on that one. Okay. He, 23-year-old male, and I, 21 female, have been dating for six months, official for three. I'm a college student who went to my hometown an hour away for the summer. He asked me to be his girlfriend right before I left, and we did long distance. He was able to visit about five to seven times. Two nights I moved back in and was now and am now living in the same city as him. I was so excited. But that night I found out he cheated on me. He cheated about two about two months after I went to my hometown. He kept it a secret and the girl eventually told me, Do I take him back? No. Not at least not immediately. You go off and you find your own lives and you build yourself back up to the person you want to be and you let him go mature and if in a year and a half, two years, whatever it is, your relationship, you guide your paths cross and you want to re-engage the relationship, that's fine. But at this stage of your lives, there's, you know, this is called a learning experience for both of you. And there's no reason to fear being alone. The only reason at this age you you put up with something like that is because you're afraid of being alone. You don't need to be afraid of being alone. You're a young college student. You've got your whole life ahead of you. You don't need a you don't need to set bad precedents in your relationship habits about accepting things you know you probably shouldn't accept. So, you know, you're young enough where if the relationship is, if it's, you know, what is it? If you love something, let it go, and it will come back in time when it's ready. He's not ready. You're probably not ready. And that's what that signal is. Not mature enough for a real relationship yet. That's what it is. So... You know, read that some warning. Again, there's that's the big red flag. And, you know, you got someone waving red flags to you. So <laughs> listen to those. You're too early in your relationship to deal with that. There's no point at that stage. But at young, when you're young, 20s, early 20s, like that, long distance relationships are, I'm gonna say, impossible, but they're insanely difficult. Hormones. And you really need to be a mature human being in order to you know, to manage that properly. And clearly, he's not. So if he was, even if he had made a mistake, he would have dealt with it immediately rather than letting someone else deal with it. Which is what happened. So, okay. Okay, we got some parenting questions. Alrighty. Our son wants to be called Gargabe Man. Refuses his given name. He's two. What do we do now? Nothing. He's two. <laughs> you just keep calling him by his name, and he'll he'll deal with it. I mean, you can call him a shortened version of that name if you want, but I don't think it really matters what you do at this stage. He's two. <laughs> in three months it'll be different regardless of what happens <laughs> so don't worry about it so much it's my suggestion having raised a bunch of boys yeah, my suggestion is don't worry about it it's relatively normal creative but normal <laughs> it's a creative one for two so I'll give him that, <laughs> but it's nothing to worry about. He's just exploring his inner mind, right? Everything, the whole world is new to him, and so he came up with this 
persona of his. It's fine. He'll find another one next week, next month, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you have an actor in your hands. You know who knows? It's hard. To, it's hard to, to say. But I wouldn't worry so much about it. Just let him be too. <laughs> That's my suggestion. Uh, I miss two-year-old. <laughs> okay. How do you all feel about having a kid-free zone after a certain time before they go to bed? Like, for example, 8 p.m. rolls around and your kids go play in their play area or their bedroom away from your living room or where you're relaxing. They have their technology, toys, etc. to play with. They've already done all their bedtime routines, so no need for you to worry about that later. It's considered quiet hours, and they're not allowed to come barreling in and bug you during adult time, kid freeze them. Typically, they'll stay up to 9.30 and then get a notification on their clock to let them know it's time to go to bed. Electronics auto turn off then, too. What do you think? Well, A, it's anybody can run their house how they wish, right? And without knowing the family and the children and all that whatnot, I can't make any firm judgments on parenting styles, but it's not how I would do it. I wouldn't want to make my kids feel excluded in their own house. Like there are times and places where they can't approach me. If there are times and places they can't be who they are themselves. You know, I get wanting to create some quiet time, not just for you, but for them. You know, as they get to bed and get settled in, and I understand the desire for that. I've never understood the desire for parents to want to have, you know, create time away from their kids. I get the desire on occasion to be one away from their kids, but I don't want to structurally time away. I've never understood that, but that's me. Um, you know, I kind of like the chaos. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I kind of enjoy the chaos of the children, and so it's you know, it's a different style. If someone's highly organized, I can you know, maybe you know what I mean. A highly organized person, this may be the solution because they can't chaos drives them crazy, and I can get that, and so I can understand how this would be a solution for them. And if that's what they need, I it's not abusive. It's just not how I would do it. Because I would be afraid that your children, the children, would feel excluded from part of their their family, from part of their house. Yeah. And I could be wrong, because you know I don't know the rest how the rest of the family works. You know, the rest of it they could be completely fully supportive, and so that for them it doesn't feel oppressive. So, again, I can't make any specific judgments, but I can say is I personally would be careful about it being a bit too structured, a bit too oppressive, and worry about the long-term consequences of uh, of children feeling excluded in their house, in their own house. And again, it also depends on the age. You know, if they're still relatively young, elementary school type of thing is different than a teenagers. Okay. A few days ago, we were at a family barbecue and one of my relative's dogs suddenly barked and scared my four-year-old daughter, who I was holding at the time. Of course, she started crying a little, and as I was calming her down, my mother came over and picked her up and went to bring her to my wife, who was talking to some people a little further away, telling me that she obviously needed her mommy. And this is just one example of assuming mom is way more capable than dad. Why do so many people consider dads to be second-rate parents? That's a good question. Um, because, But it's actually an easier question to answer than we think. It's because for most of history, the women were the primary caregivers and men were gone out earning a living or working in the fields or, or whatever that was. Oftentimes gone for months at a time, years sometimes, you know, depending upon their, their job. If you were a sailor and you had a family, you'd be gone for nine months, sometimes two years before you got back. And so 
when you have a history of that, not just a cultural history, uh, the entire human history of that. So it's not just, this is across the board. It's, you know, you have this ingrained sense that because women do it more often, they're better at it. And there's some truth to that. I mean, if you do it more often, you're better at it. Just like anything else. You know, if you, the more often you write, the better writer you are, right? That's generally how things work. You know, the more you build carpentry, the better carpenter you are, right? It's the more you do plumbing, the better plumber you are. And so there is some truth to it based upon history. The problem is we're no longer in history. We're now in the modern era. And a lot of those barriers for men to, be, to have the opportunity to care for their children, to gain the skills, to become good at it, we now have the ability to become good at it because we're engaged in it now. Right? We have the equal opportunity to do it. And so as we build those skills, right, now we're competent. So now more men are competent at raising children. We're competent at being caregivers. We're competent at, at giving the, the love and compassion at the same time. Right? We're, we're more competent at, at that. But society hasn't caught up. <laughs> You know, it takes time. It's a lagging thing. The next generation, your children, your son, won't have to deal with that so much because you will have normalized it. It'll still exist. The bumbling father, it'll still exist, but it will be diminished. Simply because it's becoming normalized as, as the scrape for, you know, living existence no longer true, and we get to kind of share the child-rearing responsibilities, the child-rearing duties, and we become good at them because we get to do them. <laughs> but you're dealing with old people, you know, people who are elderly, people who still have the golden days where men didn't have a chance to practice, and because you didn't have a chance to practice, you know, people were reluctant to let them practice, <laughs> and they didn't get a chance to practice. And so they were uncomfortable doing it, right? That's where it all comes from, right? No one's comfortable holding a baby if you've never freaking held a baby before. And if someone continues to take the baby out your hands while you're attempting to comfort them, comfort them, you never learn how to comfort them, even though you were perfectly capable of comforting them, right? They're just a little upset for the moment. You're perfectly capable of comforting them as well as anybody else, but someone else didn't see it because they assumed that you don't have the skills yet, then you clearly do. And of course, babies get upset for many parents, so it's just, but it is, it's just an old-fashioned perspective on the world that takes a long time to dissipate. And yeah, it's irritating. Trust me, I know, you take your kids to the park and you have people look at you like you're freaking there to steal children and stuff, it's, it's awful. I get it. But I also understand where they're coming from. They're not used to seeing it. And so it's stranger danger. So I, I get where they're coming from as well. So I didn't hold the grudge. Didn't like it. Just didn't hold the grudge. So what do you do? Nothing. You don't let her take them out your hands. No, I got it. Thank you. <laughs> She's fine. But again, as you get older and more confident in raising the child, you'll have no problem doing that. Yeah. It sucks. That why do people do it? Because history. That's why. And it's not even a fault. It's just the way nature was. Evolution. Evolution, baby. to judge evolution it just is so what's next my daughter 11 today told me she saw something on youtube called book space and she likes it she explained it as adults or teens who dress as and act like babies or toddlers they have a small cozy space in which they wear onesies, use a pacifier, drink special warm milk from a baby bottle, and color in coloring books. 
This immediately made me very uncomfortable, but I didn't show it. Instead, said it sounded cute. She went full on into the conversation, asking if I could buy her pacifiers and a baby bottle. She's already talking about the space she will convert in her room into a cozy spot where she can sit and color in coloring books with a pacifier. She said it can be to wind down at the end of the day, to relieve anxiety, or to do that or to that for some people that have childhood regression and just like babies to relive their bad childhood. How concerned should I be about this? Is there a chance this is just something innocent? I wanted to support her so I played it cool, but inside I am dying. After we talked, she went on Amazon and found a pacifier she wanted. She asked me to order it for her, used her own money to pay me. I didn't even know what to say. The pacifier is arriving on Sunday and she has plans to use the weekend to clean the room and get her little space ready. Someone please help me. What is happening? What is happening is a phase. But A, you should have drawn the line with the pacifier. Everything else is fine, but you should have drawn the line with the pacifier dental issues is the point on that one. But everything else is a phase and harmless. You know, there's nothing wrong with them wanting to curl up and, and hang out. And, all right, you don't want to give her a bottle, and you don't want to give her a pacifier, but everything else is fine. It's just children experimenting with themselves. It's fine. But you are the parent. You get to draw lines. No, you don't get to go back to using a pacifier. No, you don't get to use a bottle. Just, <laughs> no, you don't. You've gone past that. And that's... Yeah. And the reason is because pacifiers are bad for dental development, and bottles are silly for for anybody. <laughs> it's just they're silly for people to use who don't need them. Right? Once you're no longer a baby, bottles are for only for people who need them. And you know, there's times when there's times when it's perfectly fine to go off and into play and, and have fun and be a good time and explore your, your inner self and that's great but there are but there's lines and I would have drawn the line at the pacifier and, and the bottle thing everything else is fine whatever she'll get bored with it soon enough and move on to something else hell it gets her to clean the room that's <laughs> Personally, I would have drawn the line at the bottle and, and the pacifier, even though she didn't seem to go into the bottle yet. So I would have drawn the line at the pacifier, so I don't have to deal with the bottle. Because I can get it. She wants to create a nice little space where she feels safe to kind of color and unwind and all that. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's actually probably a good skill to start practicing, right? Spend some yeah. time unwinding. But you also have to teach her boundaries. That's your job. And just because other parents didn't teach their children boundaries and they're now on YouTube doing goofy things doesn't mean, you know. And there's nothing wrong with them actually going to YouTube and kind of wanting to, you know, unwind and show people that it's okay to unwind. But, you know, teenagers and adults using pacifiers and bottles, something's wrong, my friend. Something's wrong. Somebody didn't mature enough as at some age of their lives. And I feel bad for them more than it's anything else because they, they skipped a stage somewhere. And you don't want your daughter to skip that stage. So I don't know what the stage it is. They skipped a stage somewhere, clearly. Otherwise, they wouldn't be reverting. There wouldn't be a desire to go back and do that. Something happened. Now your daughter is just playing. She'll get through it. Don't worry about it so much. But draw the lines so she doesn't end up like that. Okay. Okay. Work.
Okay, it's 10 o'clock, so we got how many? One or two. Okay, uh, this is this is an interesting one. All right. There's an open wound on my finger from a hangnail, and it has pus. I work tomorrow, and a training video said to report injury, any injuries like that to an employer. But it's just so small, I don't want to make a big deal out of it. Should I tell my manager, or would a Band-Aid do? Well, if it's got pus added out of it, it means it's infected, you dimwit. <laughs> At the very least, you need a good clean-out. You may actually need to get some antibiotics or something. Was it a work injury or a different injury? Did it say? Didn't say. Well, if it's not a work injury, then it's nothing to be reported, really. Unless you like work with food or something, and they don't want you pus dripping all over their crap, right, all over their stuff. So it really depends. But I don't care about the work issue. You've got pus dripping off your finger. Clean it out. Get it taken care of. That means it's infected. Pus. That's infection. <laughs> that's a sign. That's you know your body may be taking care of it, but that's called infection. You need to clean it out, get some neosporin or whatever this stuff is disinfected. It's gonna hurt like hell. You know, and if it actually hurts, you may want to go down to the clinic and have them look at it. If it sticks around, because pus is no good. Regular cuts don't turn into pus, so deal with that. And whether you have to deal with your boss or not is a open question depending upon what kind of your job it is. You know, there are plenty of jobs where it won't make a dang kind of difference, but yours might. And there's probably a reason they told you to report that kind of thing. If you're working around things, you may contaminate something. So you're going to have to understand what your job is and whether you have the potential to contaminate stuff that you shouldn't. And band-aids may catch, you know stuff so band-aids may not be a solution so that's what I would do get your freaking finger taken care of properly and you should probably ask your manager or supervisor or at least a more experienced employee what you should do that's my suggestion okay one more last one found out a co-worker is recording zoom calls without letting people beforehand or asking if it's okay it makes me uncomfortable Am I wrong to feel that way? They mentioned they were recording halfway through a call after I asked if I needed to slow down. So I don't think there was any nefarious intent. I told them they should probably ask in the future, but I don't trust that they will. Well, okay, well, well one, why are you uncomfortable? It's a Zoom call for a meeting. And the reason they're some, recording it. Yes, I know. They're recording it so they can go back so they don't have to take notes so they can pay attention. And that's why they're recording it. They're recording it so they don't have to take paper notes. That's why. And depending upon what state you're in, if you're in like California, it's a one party state, so they don't need they don't technically need to inform you. Now, maybe it's rude or not to. But the reality is you have no idea if people are recording your Zoom meetings or not. But what difference does it make? Does it change how anything you're going to say? If someone's recording? Let's not get paranoid. I mean, you're sitting here on a phone call. What is, what do you, uh, you're sitting here in a, in a electronic meeting blasting all over the internet. And people come in and out freely, right? Or even if it's an invite. But at some point, you have to realize that there's nothing secure or private about it. They're using other people's servers. There's nothing secure or private about Zoom calls or text messaging or instant messaging. Forget about that. There's no privacy there. And so we all have to become used to that. And just mind what you say. Now, you're uncomfortable with it. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with being uncomfortable with it, but the reality is it's not about you. They're not recording it to try to, to get even with you or get back at you. Or, no, no, no. They just want to be able to go back and review the meeting. 
in case you missed something or so they don't have to take notes or whatever the boring generic reason is. There's no nefarious deals here. The, uh, the world has us so afraid <laughs> that everybody's out to get us, that there's a there's an evil hacker around every corner that someone's going to, going to try to to uh, destroy our lives for no reason. When the truth is, somebody just wants to be able to do their job better. And if you're uncomfortable with other people recording the Zoom meeting, then you record it and add it and you tell them, say, hey, I'm going to record the Zoom meeting. If you want a copy afterwards, let me know. That way you have control and you know where it's going. But the reality is, especially if it's a work meeting, they have every right to keep notes. And quite frankly, keeping an electronic note of a video call, of a video conference, keeping a copy of it, is routine these days. And it's going to get more and more routine, so you get used to it. Get used to it or go back to in-person. And guess what? In-person meetings are recorded these days. So people don't have to go. It just makes sense. And why? Just look at it from a from a perspective. Why worry about someone who's taking notes when you can, when it's cheaper to have just put up a camera and record it, a cell phone and record it, and you've got an exact copy of what happened, rather than somebody's notes. Handwritten note. So I wouldn't worry about it so much. It's actually, frankly, you should probably be keeping a recording of yours if you're doing a lot of these. You should probably record them yourselves. You know, join in. But it's the reality. The world, the just like we've been discussing, change. You know, the world changes. It's no longer the world of of where you sit in a conference room or a, or a thing and you know what you say in that room stays in that room unless someone remembers it. It's not how the world works now. You, know, you can talk like a sailor to the person next to you but you but you write emails and send text messages like they're going to be read in court. And the same thing goes for Zoom meetings. You behave in a Zoom meeting like it's going to be shown in court. Like someday it can potentially be shown in court. Doesn't necessarily mean it's your court case. You know, <laughs> you may, the court may not be have nothing to do with you, but you should behave. You know, text messages, emails, and at Zoom meetings, you should behave professionally. It shouldn't make a damn bit of difference whether it's being recorded or not. Because it's professional, it's business. Business is business, personal is personal. And as we found out with Johnny Depp and uh, Amber Heard, hey man, everything gets exposed. Nothing is private. Nothing on this world is private. So behave accordingly. Behave accordingly. So thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Lubby, for putting together tonight's show. And we will see you all next Saturday night, I think. We have we haven't actually talked about a new schedule yet. I haven't had time. We've been busy. So we'll see you next Saturday night. We're gonna we'll stick back to the Saturday night things until we decide differently. So for me and Lobby, we want to thank you for joining us tonight and please remember to love everybody. Bye.